surfing, road trips, karma, and VWs on this week's podcast. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Quick shout out this week to Terry Previtt for picking up some merch from the Let's Talk Dubs store. He's in Jacksonville, Florida, and hopefully he's staying safe. I know they're getting pounded with a hurricane this week, so stay safe, brother. Appreciate the support. We hear that the SEMA show has been canceled this year, so that's a huge bummer, but we're still chugging along, hoping that things may clear up, and if things do, you'll be first to know that I'll be making every effort that I can to put a show on this year, if at all possible. God willing and everything falling into place, that could be a possibility, but there's no guarantees. A couple updates for you guys that care. Bull Run Bus has its lid back on and it's painted. George did a heck of a job getting it dialed in. So we'll be working on getting the interior put back together and building out our mobile podcast bus. So looking forward to that. Also, haven't done much work on the giveaway bug yet. It's a little bit hot out here in Vegas. So planning on as it starts to cool down, we'll get back in the garage and do some work on that giveaway car. And that'll end up in the hands of one of our lucky listeners. So stay tuned and pay attention to when we're going to give details out as to how you can win the Let's Talk Dubs giveaway bug. This podcast is brought to you by Ross Wolf. Tired of the same old stuff for your VW? Check out Ross Wolf. They have a variety of accessories for your VW. Gas tank clamps, fender washer kits, IDA jet covers, distributor clamps, velocity stacks, and body-to-pan kits. All constructed of T6 6061 aluminum, anodized in a variety of colors. One of the coolest pieces that I personally like is their locking dipstick. Jason and Jared started this company to fill the void in the VW parts industry where customers receive the service they deserve. Where did the name Ross Wolf come from? Well, check out RossWolf.com to read about a man whose commitment to performance was only matched by his dedication to quality parts. To check out more, go to RossWolf.com and check back often for an always expanding catalog. That's RossWolf.com. R-O-S-S-W-U-L-F.com. RossWolf.com. So support those that support Let's Talk Dubs podcast. So before we get started on this podcast, make sure you go to BadKarmaBook.com. BadKarmaBook.com. You can buy a copy of the book there, but to wet your whistle, you can check out some photos that are included in the book that help describe and give some vision to the places that he's going to be going to and talking about. So this is a great story about a dude who's coming of age, wants to kick it with some surfers and his VW bus is his ticket to being one of the cool kids. So it's a great story, fantastic read. And I advise any of you guys out there that that are into this kind of stuff to check it out. So uh, without any further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Paul Wilson, the author of Bad Karma, the true story of a Mexico trip from hell on this week's podcast. Okay, on today's show, I've got uh, Paul Wilson. You guys have heard me talk before about a book that I was reading, uh, Bad Karma, and it's a, it's an adventure story that all revolves around a 66 VW bus, and I'm excited today to have Paul on the podcast. Hey, thanks very much, Bill. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for asking. You sent me a copy of the book, and I, I, I'm not a big reader, and, and I have to be honest with you, it was really a great book. I mean, I, I'm not a... You know, like I said, I'm not a big reader in, in my time, but the, the the story is so compelling, and and so kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat that I just, uh, you know, it's a great book. And and as I as I went through the book, and we'll we'll get into some of the details about it. Um, you know, like we talked for a few moments earlier, I th- this would be one awesome movie <laughs> to have as a <laughs> yeah, book. I, I've always seen it as a movie. In fact, uh, you know, I had to wait a little while to to write the book because of the statute of limitations and other things on my part. But then, um, you know, I, I registered the domain Bad Karma uh, Movie and Bad Karma The Movie uh, as soon as I was able to because I've always seen this as a movie eventually. Yeah, you know, and so to give our, you know, some of our listeners have heard, I, I read an excerpt a few uh a few weeks ago and it was uh it was more dis- it, 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 the excerpt that i read i don't know if you heard that part that podcast but the excerpt that i read was the description of your bus and uh you know just talking about what made your bus as cool as it was and and how actually for a lot of us in the vw scene our car is, is in some respects it's an extension of our personality but it also 
it, it's also a bridge to where we want to be as, as a person and who we want to be viewed as. Yeah, I, I can really understand that. And my, that the it was a 1966 VW Combi and uh, split uh, a walkthrough uh, cab, and it was the the first vehicle I'd ever owned. I saved up and bought it for uh, 800 bucks back in 1975, I believe it was. And I, I dolled it all up. I mean, I put everything I could into fixing up the inside and everything. I had a, a fantastic stereo. My my dad had. Um, started a, a loudspeaker manufacturing company when I was just a kid. And so I kind of developed a, a love for that and was pr- pretty well adept at, at putting together a system. So I had the whole nine yards. I had the, you know, the, the cassette deck back then, which was state of the art, of course, and uh, power amplifiers and uh, uh, subwoofers and I think six, six or eight speakers built into it and, you know, concealed locations. But that thing would crank so much. I mean, you, you could positively get silverware to dance on the flip up table that held my stove on, on the door. And so it, it it was something else, you know, and I, I double insulated everything and it just, it was really a lot of fun to just get in there and crank. And about, um, after owning it for a couple of years, it, when I first got it, it was kind of a dark, um, original paint job blue. And I was turning into the apartments I lived in one, one afternoon and I slowed to make the turn and some, uh, young girl in a, in a uh, Corvette went racing past me and clipped my door and kind of took me out a little bit. And so I used the insurance money to go ahead and get it dolled up with a fancy new paint job, put a little bit extra money into it. And so it was a uh, Irish cream uh, main body on top and a root beer brown, um, you know, side panel, the, the, uh, the raccoon panel around the thing. Right. And then, and uh, I, I got a new license plate for it. And uh, it was back then you could only get six characters. So I had to be a little creative so I, I got one uh, DRBUS, and uh, because a lot of people say, "Oh, what is that? One Doctor Bus, or you know that kind of thing." Right. I, I I got a personalized frame said Wonder Bus, the Wonder Bus on the across the top, and then slogan across the bottom of the light personalized frame said "Faster than a speeding bullet," which is you know as we all know, sixty six VW buses <laughs> weren't known for being faster than a speeding bullet, so it was kind of an inside joke. And actually, Wonder Bus its original meaning was, "I wonder if it's going to start." Yeah, no, and with a lot of us with VWs, you know, we and, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. What, what I what I just, what I'd like to do is so the the name of the book specifically is Bad Karma: The True Story of a Mexico Surf Trip from Hell. Yep. And if you can give our listeners kind of an overview of what it is, and then I, I don't want to give away okay. too much, but I, I definitely I've read the book. It's great. I'd love to talk about a couple different aspects of it that are sure. pretty cool. But go ahead and give us, you know, the author okay. summary of, of what this book is about. I'll give you kind of the, the author blurb for this, uh, a sketch of it. <clears throat> I was uh, 21 years old. And I had, by the way, it's a hundred percent true story. And every time you think I'm making something up, I've got a, <laughs> there's 40 photographs in there to follow along. So you're flipping the pages. That couldn't happen. He's exaggerating. And then I've got a picture that kind of, you know, proves it's true. Yeah. So, um, because it is, it is, it was one of those one in a million and, you know, chain of events. But uh, I was 21 years old and, and kind of a, a, a dork. You know, I'll admit it. I moved into an apartment building in a little town in the southwest, westernmost corner of the United States, continental United States, called Imperial Beach. And I um, uh, moved into a building that had uh, 14 apartments occupied by 19 surfers. And we lovingly referred to it as Heartbreak Hotel. And, uh, <laughs> or, or uh, the manor, which is short for stud manor. It was just kind of an inside joke thing. And, uh, but all the other guys in the building, had most of them had lived there for a half dozen years or more, and they were all 25, 26 years old. And I um, kind of helicoptered around them trying to be cool and fit in. And, you know, I wasn't a good, as good a surfer, and I was young and dumb and everything. So I um, I got wind that they were going to – two of the local icons that lived in the building were going to be taking this uh, trip down to Michoacan, Mexico, mainland Mexico, on the surfing safari. And I figured that this is my chance to kind of, you know, be cool and, and earn my earn my street cred and and everything and so I, I got uh, my I you know went and you know sold them on the idea of using my VW bus the Wonder bus for this trip 
And, you know, I learned later on that I was actually the last guy in the building that had a car that would make it. So they were kind of playing me to, to get into this trip, but I, I didn't know any better. And I was just stoked to be going. Yeah. And so I, I, um, you know, fence, uh, and then once I committed to the trip and there was no chance of backing out or anything, I learned that it wasn't going to be the two week trip that I had envisioned, but a two month trip. And so I had nowhere near enough money or the, um, the time to take off or work or anything. So, I devised a plan and I um, um, had a, did a little heist at a supermarket, and um, <laughs> to, to, to get to get the money and 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 the, the provisions for the trip and everything. And uh, we uh, I got away with it, and then got all ready to go. And I I learned about four hours before we left on the trip that the one guy that I thought was you know all that that was really the the, the king of surfers and everything. Well, uh, uh, reason he was ducking out was because he'd killed somebody. And the reason he liked riding in the back of my, my VW bus was because he figured he could hide under some stuff under there as it went across the border. And then the, the third guy on the, on the trip, uh, he had uh, right before we left, he emotionally devastated his girlfriend. And so each, each of us had our own bad karma heading south on this trip. I had robbed a store. The one guy, uh, we called him Moose. He had killed somebody. And Jelly, we used to call him Handsome Jelly because he's a heartbreaker. Right. He had devastated his girlfriend. So the, the three of us went south, each with our own dark clouds. And what was supposed to be a two-month trip to paradise ended up being uh, five and a half weeks of basically trying to survive. And we uh, ended up with a whole series of of you know, adventures and everything, both the, the Mexican people were fantastic. I couldn't ask for a better reception and, and help and, and compassion from them and everything. We had no problem with authorities or anything. Well, except for one minor high speed chase, but, right. the, <laughs> but the, um, uh, every, every, we, we learned quickly that the cosmos does keep score. And any kind of thing that could go wrong, either with the bus or with us personally or just the, the environment in general, it, it happened. And so it was every day was a different disaster. And, you know, and, w- and one of the things for me that was really captivating about this was the descriptions that you go through in regards to your relationship with your bus and, and some of the things that happen as you're going along and this faith that you have in your bus and, mm-hmm. and all these things, they ring so true to the typical VW enthusiast because you know it, everything from the breakdowns you guys had and and some of the repairs you did so many of our listeners will be totally familiar with that because they're not so out of the norm and they're typical things that happen mm-hmm. um, but it's just it, it it's cool. it it grabs you as a VW enthusiast it, it's not mm-hmm. like it, you know from a from a VW enthusiast standpoint it really connects with you like you can tell you're totally into this bus <laughs> it, it's your pride and joy and it's like and and you and your trusty bus are going to get it there no matter what. Well, it, it was very much my trusty bus. And right before, uh, oh, a couple of months before I uh, had left on this trip, I had gone through a serious rebuild on my bus, and I had, uh, you know, it came with a fifteen hundred cc stock engine, and I had had beefed it up to seventeen seventy six, um, and you know all the extras, and I'd put Bilstein gas shocks on them or the suspension, so the thing handled like a Porsche, and, um, you know, and, of course, the, the great stereo, and every, everything on there. I'd upgraded the system to 12-volt from 6-volt, and uh, I had mounted a high-intensity uh, high off-road driving light on the spare tire holder up on the front end, and, you know, it, it was very much equipped for, for this trip. And then I, being, a, you know, somebody that was obsessively um, com- compulsive about, preparing for the trip being prepared for any possible calamity i had you know an extra um carburetor an extra um you know a couple of extra fan belts uh, a case of oil um, and then i had also purchased a a full package of, of the full set of the seals and gaskets and everything that that in case i need to do anything <laughs> right. any anything along the way yeah the master and, gasket set yeah exactly uh-huh. so about uh maybe an hour and a half, two hours south of the border, the, the I noticed the thing had started leaking oil. The light came on and I said, ah, oh, man, what's, what could possibly be going on? And I, you know, I had put it back together. So I only had myself to blame somewhere along the line. And I, I so I added a court and we went along a ways and added a court and went along a ways and we calculated how far we could go on a court of oil and made it to the, the next town and um, bought more oil and that kind of thing along the way. And, um, at one point, we were faced with the decision, uh, 
we, we couldn't, we knew we couldn't make it to the next significant town with the amount of oil we had on board. And so we, and, and if we poured it in, but we did have enough to refill the engine that we pulled it out and, and changed it. But when I was packing up the, everything for the trip, I had, uh, had to leave a couple of key things behind, one of them being the jack to, you know, help facilitate the repair, right. dropping the engine and everything. So we, we, we made do. We dropped it, you know, physically muscled it out, muscled it back in without any kind of mechanical help. Now let the, the, the listeners read how that all happened. It's quite, <laughs> yeah. quite a story. It, it is crazy. It, it, in the dark, in the middle of the desert. Um, without a jack so that was interesting but we uh, took it apart and discovered that one of the little o-rings at the bottom of the, the little black skyscraper everybody yeah, recognizes the, the oil cooler yeah. yeah the oil cooler one of those had blown out and so it was it was bleeding oil we were making it about 35 miles on a court and we um, um and so you know we were faced with a decision and i went through the gasket pack and discovered that the the one thing that was missing from the unopened package of a complete set of gaskets was the little o-rings that went on that oil cooler yeah so we uh i made do i i macgyvered something i invented something that would hold us off for a while and we made it to uh our our pretty far down the road and then blew out what i had made and started leaking again make a long story short it required 38 quarts of oil to get uh about 850 miles to the the city of la paz to have it professionally rebuilt at a volkswagen distributorship yeah, and that then that was a cool story in and of itself. Just taking it to the dealership, and, it was, uh, and and the service that they provided for you, and, the, and then being able to help you, and and it was just a you know, like I said, there's there's so much of the story just connects with the average VW person. Not to mention just this wild story of everything that happens, and you know, I think it's so descriptive. I mean, just from the standpoint of, Thanks. you know, when you're driving as I, as I'm reading it and, you, and you're driving, the oil light comes on, you talk about this pit in your stomach and the feeling you get when you see this oil light and you're thinking like, Oh no, I think every person that's on the Volkswagen knows when that light every, comes on. <laughs> everything goes through your mind about, okay, could it be this? Could it be that? No, it couldn't be that. I just took care of that. And you know, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, and then we, when we were adding oil, in order to tell whether it was getting close, you, you know, whether it was getting, you know, in need of oil again, I would swerve left, right, left, right, and get the oil to slosh around a little bit. And because the oil light was on the old ones like that, it would, yeah. it would glow increasingly bright the lower it was. And so we, we would do that and kind of determine when it was due for some more. And when, when, when the, um, you know, I, and I, on, on the trip, I was, I, I mentioned before I was a dork and I, I kept a very extensive, you know, one of those old words mileage books where I had written down, you know, how many gallons of gas, how many miles I went. And then crossing the border, it became liters of gas and kilometers um, and the dates and everything. So I was able to recreate and I had all my receipts and everything saved. So I was able to recreate in great detail the specific, you know, areas where we'd had the, the breakdown in the desert where we had to change the, change the engine or where, you know, which town we went to on what day. And, uh, you know, we, we got finally got it taken care of when it got made it to. Cabo San Lucas, where the ferry left from um, during those days, and now it leaves out of um, uh, La Paz. But um, they discovered that the harbor was perennially too shallow for the big uh, sea ocean-going ferry ships to come in there. They kept running aground. And so we, we got on the ferry, and we went across uh, the open ocean to Puerto Vallarta, and that was an, that's an adventure oh, in yeah. itself. And, well, that's and, what I'm saying. I mean, in, in this book, just getting to La Paz <laughs> is a whole deal. And then once you get to La Paz and you start and you take the ferry over to the to the ship, and then you you know just the adventure you guys have on the ship is insane. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like I, I'm telling you this. When I got done with the story, I thought like. I mean, I was worn out. I'm like, holy crap, man. <laughs> like, what, a, what an ordeal. But it's just it, like such it, a it great was, It was story. so funny. I, I still have the picture in my mind of when I had loaded on the, you know, gone into the, the cargo hold with the, with the other vehicles because they would fill it up with trucks and buses and dump trucks and a few passenger vehicles. And my spot in the line loading in, I pulled up behind this gigantic truck 
and they have you pull all the way up till you're literally kissing the, the vehicle in front of you. Right. And then, and then I, then I'm looking around and everything kind of starts getting darker and darker. And I'm going, what the hell? And I look the mirror and all I can see is this gigantic Volvo emblem on the front of a truck coming up until it's, you know, a few inches from my rear window. And, and so I'm, I'm blocked in. And I get out and I, I go walking away from it and I turn around and I look at it and we think with the VW bus is being, I mean, when I had it, I thought, well, that's a good sized vehicle. You know, it's, it's, it's full size. Sure. And then you see it in that, that situation, it looks like a wheel shock between two, <laughs> between two trucks. And the only thing I think of is one of those things is going to break loose on the crossing and my, my, my bus is going to be a pancake. Yeah. It's, there's another part of the story that you where and it talks about so I'm not giving it away cuz it talks about on the back of the book but it talks about your running with El Chapo. Now now the, I know that there's you, you have a picture in the book. Mhm. Now, did you confirm so you've confirmed that was actually him? Huh? Yes. Yes, I sure have. I um I have uh, another picture that shows uh, some information as far as the he well he had given us he, I had had him write in the back of my Moore's mileage log his um contact information that wasn't his it was uh, one of his um uh, cousins there actually it was an uncle and so i went back through and i was able to put all the pieces together the dates and times and where it was and then i was able to um um uh, contact person i was 95 percent sure it was him at the time and then when i mean not at that time but after i knew he had been arrested the first time yeah. um, for trafficking and then later on um the I, one of the guys that knew him down there contacted me and said and said, "Well, I can't believe you got those pictures." And yes, that's him. And um, he, he kind of gave me the whole family tree and everything. But you know, I've got pictures in color of him uh, during the trip, and then pictures of him when he was arrested and everything. And he has a very distinctive um, uh, kidney bean shaped birthmark on his chin. And um, if you look at the older pictures, the, the most recent one when he was older doesn't have it. He had it when he had his facelift, his plastic surgery, that was removed. Right. But the and the earlier pictures, the up through 93, I knew him in 78. We were both 21. I'm four months older. And, <laughs> and, and so, and he was a mid-level lieutenant at that point. But, you know, I'm, I'm working on the sequel to the book because one of the guys, actually the guy who had killed somebody preceding our trip, he, he went back down, turned around. Well, after we got home, he went immediately back down and connected with uh, Joaquin and they established a, a pretty healthy marijuana smuggling ring. <laughs> and, and there's a connection going up Baja and into uh, Imperial Beach. And wow. back in the back in the '80s, there was a, an organization called the Coronado Company mm-hmm. that was uh, 60 Minutes did an expose on them, and they were they were bringing a whole bunch of pot in from Tijuana into Coronado, and the feds infiltrated and busted that group. And when it did, uh, Joaquin and and Moose. Uh, collaborated and established a, a ring to kind of fill that void. And so they were bringing marijuana into uh, um, Imperial Beach, the northern end, right at the border of Imperial Beach and Coronado. And that went on for years until it was, you know, thousands of pounds a week coming in. And so, uh, you know, I, I know that that coincides with when Joaquin, uh, and when the, the Sinaloa cartel uh, took over that route, and Joaquin Guzman was also the Joaquin Guzman that Moose was dealing with. So I'm, I'm you know, 100% certain that that, <laughs> that that is the guy. I sent a copy to him and it, via his attorney, but I've not heard back. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, that's it's 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 so it's so um, engaging as a story, like like the way the story just weaves in and out of from one thing to the next. And there's no points in the story when I was listening to it where when I was reading it, where I thought to myself like, Oh, this is, yeah, yeah. Skip a couple pages here. Or skip a couple pages there because everything led right to the next thing. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it was, it was just incredible. And you know, the whole process to get down there and everything that you went through in every stage of it is in such great detail that I was surprised. I thought, like, man, how did this guy remember all this stuff to such great detail? <laughs> well, I, you know? About about five days into the thing, I started keeping more instead of just mileage log. I was keeping a journal, writing this down on who I met and did this. And I have everybody's 
anybody I met, I have either their business card or, or their name and postcards. And I was able to, the 38 quarts of oil I was, I could kind of loosely remember it was like at least 30 quarts. And then my, my buddy that I had mailed a postcard back to during the trip gave it to me. And, and sure enough, it says on there, you know, we made it from here to here. Like we lost a lot of oil. In fact, it took 38 quarts. So I've got a copy of that in the book to show that, you know, with the dates and everything and, um, you know, the, the benefit of satellite technology and everything, they, they had photos of the different hurricanes and things. But, you know, when we made our ferry crossing from, from, I've, you know, skimmed over that from, from yeah. <clears throat> Cabo to Puerto Vallarta, the, the ferry, um, it, we, the, the captain was sure he could outrun this little storm that was forming on, in our path. And it developed into Hurricane Norman. And it be, it was actually, and I had no idea it had a name, you know, Hurricane Norman and stuff, but the, uh, um, later on I discovered that that was it. I, I knew, I remembered the, the captain talking about it and stuff. It was a hurricane now and don't worry, we'll be able to skirt it. And then the thing just blew up into eventually becoming the third most powerful Pacific, um, storm in history. <laughs> so yeah. in recorded history and, and we went darn near through the eye of that thing. So, on a seagoing ferry boat, which is like a, a, a matchstick went in a, in a storm when it gets out there. Yeah. So uh, to, to, to this day, I can't go anywhere near. I, I, all I have to do is smell diesel fumes and I get seasick. So, oh, yeah. I, <laughs> no, I mean, just the, the boat ride is a, is a whole ordeal in and of itself. But mm-hmm. you know, the, the great thing is this over this five weeks, I mean, the, the, the characters you meet, I mean, everything that you've that you've experienced through this, it really makes this seem almost like it's fiction when you read it. It's such an incredible story. It, it, now, what, what, like going back to Joaquin, he was the nicest guy ever. I mean, everybody on the trip was just so giving and and kind and um, helpful. And um, you know, we had how we hooked up with him was we had broken down for one final time, uh, and was just north of Wasabi, Sinaloa, in Mexico which is about 900 miles from the border. And, we, you know, we were out of money, out of patience. The, but this is, you know, the, probably the, I don't know, fourth or fifth, you know, catastrophic breakdown. And the, the transaxle had seized up. And so we had to get it towed off the road and went back into town and on a, on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. And it was a, some sort of festival was going on. It was about 110 degrees in the shade and 100% humidity. And everybody was, you know, inside. We came across these two guys sitting on the, the hood of a, of a car, um, drinking. And, you know, <laughs> uh, in the, in the book, I say it's, uh, they're drinking beers, but in the, in my picture that I have the archive of, they're drinking beers. Yeah. But there's also an empty bottle of tequila on the hood. So yeah. <laughs> they were, they were primed and they, they said, well, we can tow you in. We were asking for a tow truck. And I said, well, we can tow you in. We've got this great piece of rope. And <laughs> they, they, they had this great piece of rope, but I, I, you, you could have, you could have tethered, you could have moored the Queen Mary with this thing. It was so big around. Only problem was it was only about six feet long. So you can picture tying off to the backside of a Chevy sedan and the front of a, of a VW bus with six feet of rope and how close we were linked to them. And, you know, we, we were towed, you know, oh gosh, it was probably 25, 30 miles in that situation. And you had to really concentrate to avoid getting to one side or the other because it drew you closer. And I didn't want to kiss the back of them with the front of mine. Right. And, um, so we, uh, I'll let the readers hear, hear the story, but the, the, the federalities became interested in us and we, we got away well, with, yeah, walking, that, with, with walking driving. That's the craziest part, right? It's intense enough. Anybody that's got a VW, especially a bus that's been yeah. broken down and you're just, it's, it's a last minute deal and your buddy's got a rope and you're just like, screw it, just go ahead and pull us in, you know, and it's too short of a rope, but you're just like, you're at your wits end. You're like, let's just drag this thing. That's intense enough as it is. Yeah. And then you lay on another layer of just pure, pure chaos that's happening during this. Well, the, the, the speedometer, the speedometer in, in that era of bus, it, 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 the last digit on there was numeral on there was 80 yeah. and it pegged after that. So it was probably 83 or so. Well, during this chase, which went on for a good 20 miles, um, it was pegged. So we were going at least, you know, 80 plus <laughs> with me being towed with where, and I was so close that looking out the front window of the bus, I could not see the break at the back of the hood of his trunk. All I could see was the top of the hood yeah. and just 
uh, had a guy that I was giving a ride, a poor guy from um, Guatemala, and he he was hanging on to the oh my god handle on the passenger <laughs> side. When we once we he was we, once we got off the road and everything, we got on a, a dirt frontage road, and you know Joaquin could see the the ditches and holes and and potholes and things like that and miss them, but I I think I hit every one of them, and we were. We were, I was, I'd bounce into the passenger seat and hang on to the wheel. And then this poor guy would bounce into my lap and it was just chaos. But, you know, we, we learned why the, it, he wasn't just worried about the federales getting us for, um, uh, towing with a rope on the freeway, but or on the highway, he was, he, he was also interested in the, uh, the 100 plus kilos of marijuana and Joaquin's trunk. So. Right. <laughs> no, it's, it, you know, and one of the things we talked about earlier was, was so this story is insane and i know that there's a lot of listeners that just have these really insane stories and as we're talking about this i, I would love for people to go to badkarmabook.com and a lot of these things we're talking about and i'll mention it in the beginning Thank before you. we start the podcast so that people can follow along and look at the pictures because it's really it, it's really something that grabs you and, and draws you and especially just such a wild trip you know being young before you get a, a lot of responsibilities and just deciding like, you know what, the biggest thing in your life at that point is like, if I can just make the surf trip, this is going to be the coolest mm-hmm. thing ever. And then, you know, going through all these experiences and then years later, because obviously when this really, when this first goes down, there's a lot of stuff that happened that you, you'd get in big trouble if you published, you know? Oh yeah. I, I couldn't tell anybody anything about it for the first 10 years, wait for the statute of limitations to expire because, you know, not only had I robbed a store, but the, uh, I'd taken a, a guy who I knew was, you know, wanted for, it was supposed to be reporting for, uh, his confinement for killing somebody. It was a manslaughter charge. But, um, you know, I took, uh, knowing that he was, uh, was supposed to report that morning and me letting him hide in my van going across the border. Well, that's another 10 year thing right there. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I'm in the interim. I, I was married and had a couple of kids and, uh, I, last thing I wanted them to think as they were going, <laughs> growing up and they were younger was what a shit their dad had been when he was 21. Right. All the stupid, all the stupid foolish things I did. And they, and all the stuff I did was all so I could take my, my, my bus on this trip. You know, it wasn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same story had it been a Chevy pickup. Yeah, no, it, w- without question, just because the bus itself is is a moving mobile piece of personality that mm-hmm. besides it being, you know, doubling as transportation, it's where you're living, it's housing everything you own. I mean, it's literally, it's your life on wheels, you know? Yeah, m- m- mine was complete with, you know, the, of course, the custom paint job that I had on it. And then interior, I had, you know, the, the wood paneled doors and the... Um, uh, a king size, or rather a queen sized uh, mattress that, that with a flip up thing, so you could you know enlarge it to a full queen size. Um, there was a I had a hidden ice box underneath it that I'd taken the guts out of an old mini fridge and turned it on its back and completely drain until you lift up part of the mattress and there was an ice box hidden under there. Um, the, uh, the 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 ceiling of the the back of the bus it was kind of ratty and so I put in a uh, stitched in there a uh, like a paisley hippie you know fabric <laughs> yeah. up there and then the curtains that matched and stuff you know it was all dolled up it was a, it was a 1978 well 1966 bus with a 1978 flavor um, well, and then we of course we had the surfboard racks on the roof and and i was uh, i was impressed when i was reading about the timeline now another cross parallel that you and i just we discussed a little bit before i called you in the podcast we chatted for a few minutes and we have a couple cross parallels in our lives one of the other things for me as car audio like i was a big car audio file back in my early teens you know i worked at a car mm-hmm. stereo shop and all this stuff and i'm looking at this thing and i'm thinking did they really have because so, I don't even remember separate amplifiers coming out. Like in the, if they came out in the seventies, they were super expensive for like a right to get to get a, a preamp head unit and a powered amplifier just for yep. speakers. And didn't even know that they had subwoofers available back then. Yeah, well, my my dad had a professional audio company. He man, he started a company that um, became second in the world to JBL as far as uh, professional audio equipment. It was called Oratone, A U R A T O N, and it was a, a recording studio and broadcast studio monitor speaker. 
that he became famous for. And the company of uh, Quincy Jones was our spokesperson, and uh, later on Kenny Rogers was a spokesperson, and I became his sales rep for the company eventually. But it was rags to riches. I grew up dirt floor poor, and then uh, by, after I, when I left for college, that was kind of the turning point in the business. That's when the company was affiliated with became affiliated with Quincy Jones as the big producer, you know, Michael Jackson's records and all that. Sure. Um, so it the company exploded. Um, but uh, my dad had the latest, greatest of any kind of audio thing you can imagine as I was growing up. So, you know, I was able through him and his connections, everything. I had professional audio equipment in there, which consisted of, you know, a large woofers and all the, the crossover networks uh, and everything necessary to make it a subwoofer. And the, the, the amplifiers, the dual, dual, uh, pretty good sized pioneer amplifiers in there to power the thing. Like I say, you could make silverware dance on my counter. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I mean, it's, uh, I, I can't, I, I, I'm excited for listeners that are listening to the podcast to actually read the book because it's just such a great story. And I know that I'll get a bunch of feedback. People say, yeah, they need to make this a movie. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, We'll uh, we'll hope for that. And keep our fingers crossed because I think this would be such a cool adventure to see on the silver screen. My only question is, how do you fit it all in two hours? <laughs> you know that that ho- well. Hopefully, once the sequel comes out and the sequel, this my the bad karma, um, the uh, true story of Mexico trip from hell. That is all. Uh, first person it's it's all from my point of view and everything the sequel i'm having to write that from third person because i didn't become involved take the next step become involved with the drug smuggling and the other things that happened that ultimately got moose killed um so the um and that's how the karma came full circle too each of us were got our butts kicked seemingly in, in direct response to the thing we'd done wrong I robbed the store and I lost everything I owned and then some moose killed somebody and he eventually was killed. Um, the fellow that had destroyed his girlfriend emotionally, we called him handsome jelly because he had the string of gorgeous girlfriends. Well, several years after we got back, he, uh, he was working at his parents' exotic palm tree farm. A gust of wind blew a tree over and he saw it coming and couldn't quite ditch out of the way of it and he clipped his face as it went by Ooh. and so it, it, it destroyed his his good looks and he reconstructed the surgery and everything guy became a total hermit and shot it never dated again oh wow so yeah so that you know karma got us each according to what we had done and so we we uh you know i, be, I believe the cosmos keeps score and so i've been named absolutely <laughs> on your <since>. best <laughs> on your best behavior since then huh Oh boy, you know, I find a hundred bucks on the street and I'm going to spend two hours trying to find the owner of it. So one of the things, <laughs> one of the things we did discuss, you know, cause on my podcast, I talk, I talk a lot about, um, the caliber and the type of individual, it's a VW enthusiast, right? And and, mm-hmm. and we chatted about it for just a second on the phone before we did the podcast. And, and I wanted to make sure that we discuss it here because I want it to be, you know, on the podcast and as well as being a genuine conversation and we discussed and I give you that my opinion was VWs are the, the, the typical enthusiast that, that, uh, that owns a Volkswagen, you know, the, the average purchaser who doesn't know anything about it or may not be an, a car enthusiast as a VW owner, you have to become self-reliant. You have to become knowledgeable, independent, resourceful. You have to have so many facets to be able to love that car so much. You're willing to put up with all the stuff it yeah. puts you through. And, and you, you, it's it's also kind of a customizable experience. Some people go for the hundred percent stock restored thing, and a lot of people there's they want their own personal um, hands, their own personal colors, and touch on it. And, you know, back then, very few people went for the, the stock thing. Everybody was cutting out the wheel wells and putting fat tires on the back and putting air, those plastic air scoops on the back over the vents because we were all sure that did better, made the engine cooler. Right. Um, and, you know, all the things that we did along the way, I had the, you know, the Jackman white five spoke rims on there and the, the uh, Michelin, uh, you know, uh, road and road and um, uh, off road tires, all season tires, and like I said before, the Bilstein gas shocks and that thing. It it was a sports car. It was just in the shape of a VW bus. <laughs> but <laughs> but you you have to be resourceful. You have to. Uh, I think, and it carries. If you don't have that going in, you're either going to get that uh, attitude or and that approach 
in your life or you're, or you're going to have to get rid of the bus. An awful lot of people back in the sixties and seventies, they would, they would get a bus thinking, well, that's kind of cool. And by the third time it broke down on them and they didn't know what to do, they got rid of the bus. But the, the people who kept them forever were the ones that knew how to do everything. That, that fantastic old manual of, you know, how to keep your Volkswagen alive. Yeah. Um, you know, I, mine, mine would had greasy thumbprints on every page. <laughs> Well, <laughs> going through that thing and i learned how you know inside intimately how to pull and take part just about everything on there. but you know down, down in mexico you eventually run out of parts at that time you know there's one part of the story where i had customized the engine so much that they the volkswagen distributor and in, in colima uh wouldn't um this is the second dealer i added at during the trip but he he wouldn't um uh either he wouldn't bring in the replacement rings uh, or um, and he wouldn't guarantee anything because they were non-authentic, non-original Volkswagen parts. So I had to I had to take a bus from Colima to through Guadalajara to Mexico City to go to an off-road um, parts store there and pick up the rings and carry them all the way back because he wanted nothing to do with them. So um, I guess co- co- company policy for Volkswagen at least back then was you're not, we're not going to use any uh, inauthentic or aftermarket uh, parts. Yeah it's it's uh it's one of those vw things that are specific and and having a custom volkswagen you know you're you're trying to bridge the gap between the factory and what you've done and and the, just the experience you have to go through to go pick up a set of rings <laughs> yeah well, well back back in the back in the day in the states you could go into any you know 7-eleven or speedy mart or, or drugstore and there was a whole section of of card you know, the things on, on, uh, um, you know, the shrink wrap co- uh, cards hanging on the, on the wall where you, you get valve cover gaskets and valve covers and oil change kits and, um, you know, the whole thing because Volkswagens have become so ubiquitous and their maintenance needs so ubiquitous that you go to pretty much any drugstore or five and nine and pick up parts for it. Yeah. Well, and so talking about the, the resourcefulness of a VW enthusiast, now you're. I mean, this is your first book. You you mm-hmm. had this wild adventure. What drove you to to write the book, and and what made you finally take the take the time to sit down? Because I'm sure it's not an easy task to go through the process of writing this book. You know, um, about uh, well, I always knew it was. I always envisioned it as a movie, just because it was such a an amazing adventure. Just a, a fun, uh, you know, from start to finish, you're on the run, but the. Uh, I figured, oh well, if it's going to be a movie, I better write the book. And I told different elements of this of the trip, of uh, segments of it, little snippets, probably you know a chapter or half a chapter at a time to my kids when they got old enough. And you know, my my buddies and I would we you know sit around and barbecue or whatever, and we'd start telling stories back and forth. And I would always break out one of the the events that happened on this trip, but I I had never put it all the way together in the form of a, a cohesive you know beginning to end of the trip. And so sitting down to do it, I had kind of told already and had in my head most of the parts of the book, put it together and wrote it, um, you know, went online and, and learned some things about how to construct a, a book and, you know, the arc of the story and the arc of the chapters and all that. Um, it, so it, it flowed pretty well. And then I was um, through uh, one of the online things, a tutorial thing I was taking, I hooked up with a, a guy in Bali. Mm-hmm. Who had who had a friend in the Philippines who knew somebody in in <laughs> Alexandria, Virginia, who had just retired as a uh, uh, 17 years at the National Geographic Tracks, uh, Barbara No Kennedy, and and I sent it to her and asked her if she'd help with the editing. And she read it and took read one chapter and said, "Yeah, I'm 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 in." And she read through it and she said, "You know, I'm I'm not going to. This is what, the first time in in 18 years I've not made any suggestions on telling the story." Although, you know, you're, you're that happy. You say that way too much in the story and your punctuation is awful and things like that. So she went through and cleaned it up to make it, you know, readable and everything. But, and then I got it back and I presented it to over a hundred literary agents and about 25 different publishers. And they all turned their noses up at it because it wasn't their current, um, in vogue thing. And, and quote unquote, um, men's memoirs just don't sell. It wasn't and, Fifty Shades of VW buses. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, and and so I wasted six months fooling around with that. <clears throat> and then um, when I finally said, "Okay, I'm I'm over this. I'm gonna I'm gonna publish. Get out there." 
which, uh, you know, I did a soft launch to some friends in October of last year. And then in November, I launched for real and it immediately took right off. And uh, it's been a number one Amazon bestseller since January 26th uh, with, without a, without a break for an hour or anything nonstop since then in one category or another, whether it's surfing or um, Mexico travel or adventure travel or sport travel or literary writing or um, those kind of things. It, it's, it's been number one in at least one of those categories right on through. And it's so fun now to, to look at it on the charts and see it ahead of all the people, uh, people's books and publishers and agents books that I, turned me down. Yeah. And so yeah. That- <laughs> there's, there's some sweet justice there, but in, in the same respect, it's like your book is that old VW bus that the guy in the sports car can't get away from because you got it souped up and you did it all yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, yep. there, there's this direct uh-huh. parallel with the VW underdog story. There is. And it, it's, it's, it, it, for anybody out there who's written a book or dreams of writing a book, it, there's a very steep learning curve. It's like the first time you lift the hatch on the back of the bus and go, okay, spark plugs. Right, right. <laughs> it, there's a learning curve to the bus. And, you know, thankfully there's manuals and people that teach you along the way. But, you know, writing a book and self publishing and everything is, is not for the faint of heart or the people that don't have that resourcefulness that is already bred into the, those of us that love the old vintage Volkswagens. Well, I mean, I, listen, based on, and I, I may be slightly biased because VWs are a huge part of my, uh, of my personal hobby, my passion and things that I've loved since I was just a teenager. And, you know, I would love to see an entire series of books that came out with, with VW involved stories because the VW is just the conduit through the adventure. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And there, there are so many parallels, but yet every, it's just like the podcast, you know, like, like I said, our, our Mm -hmm. tagline is, is what's your VW story. And, Mm -hmm. And you've taken your VW story and, and you've put it in a 300 some pages in this book. Is that how, big, how long the book is? 300 some pages? Uh, it's, it's just, just under 300 with yeah. the epilogue and everything like that. It's just under 300. So you put that VW story in that and it's, it's an incredible story. And I love the fact it's even more, it, it's a true it's a true character of, of a VW enthusiast because like we, like we discussed the dedication it takes to be a consistent, you know, your, your bus you had for many years after this and just mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. even after what you went through in it, it's almost like they have their own soul. You're keeping yep. it, you're keeping it because of the blood, sweat and tears you got into it. But it, it also moves into the same parallel of you self publishing your own book, going through the process putting what you thought was a good story together and taking it to the powers that be and saying, Hey, would you guys do this? And they go, no, not interested. And then you're like, you know what? Yep. I'll do it myself. And then it's just another, you know, it's, it's no different than the, the VW owner who just can't afford the mechanic or just needs to figure it out on his own or how to fix his own car. It's like you persevered through. It's a wonderful story. Um, well, thanks. I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad to say that, me being able to read this story and the time I had to commit to reading a book. And I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of my <laughs> teachers in high school and junior high that'd be pretty upset because I've never made a commitment. To it. I'm, just, I'm just not a reader, but it was such a good story. And once you start reading this book, it's hard to put it down because you're just like, yeah. and half the time I was thinking like, no way. No, are you kidding me? Like, holy crap. You know, but it's, it's just this emotional roller coaster you go through, but what a great adventure. And, and uh, I'm glad that I got to be part of your VW story. And I, th- and I think when you read well, it, you know, one of, the big, one of the big things about reading it is as you read the book, you start to develop, you know, you've got some pictures and stuff to give some suggestions of how we should envision some things because of what they really looked like. But, you know, to each and every one of us, as we're reading a book, we start to build that picture in our mind and 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 we en- we encompass some of that story some of your story into our personal experiences mm-hmm. because obviously our memories are only made of the experiences that we've had and as we start assembling your story there are fragments of things we've gone through that are building those and it's just a it's great to be able to share that experience in such great detail with you um like i said the 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 
book, you know, it starts out, there's five human characters in the book that are primary characters. And then there's the bus. And the bus actually takes on a whole persona of its own and, and becomes, because everything takes place in or around or having something to do with the bus, with the Wonder Bus. And there's, you know, so it's funny because it's being sold successfully in 11 countries. And the um, in United Kingdom, it's all bus buyers that are getting it. The very few surfers. Yeah. In Australia, in Australia, it's almost all surfers with the occasional bus buyer. And here, it's it's mostly mostly baby boomers because they're they're revisiting and reliving some of the you know the experiences they had when they were that age when they were twenty one and dumb. And the um and then their their kids, their offsprings that, that, that are and gosh, I wonder what dad was up to when he was twenty one. And so yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 going good. But like Australia, you know, it it became Amazon Book of the Month. They, uh, for uh, for uh, I'm sorry for July, and and you know it was the featured book of the month. Well, I didn't ask that for that. I didn't apply for it, but it became the demand that it, it became the book of the month. Well, that's good, and it deserves it. And and uh, for all I hope, just like everything that's that's genuine and authentic and and VW culture, I hope it it gains a a, a cult following with this book. And I honestly. I could see, I could see a group of bus guys getting together and recreating mm-hmm. the trip in a caravan. <laughs> with a bu- I mean, how cool would that be, right? That, that, that'd be really cool. Count me in. That's on my bucket list to get another bus because you know, but with uh, marriage and kids and everybody mortgages and everything along the way, but I eventually had to get rid of my get rid of that bus. And so I've always I had a '67 Westphalia in the interim, but then I got rid of that one too. But I've, I've always wanted to recreate it, and I, I still have the the license plate from the original Wonder Bus and the the frame and everything. So oh, I'm, that's right. You know, it, it's it it's hanging on my wall here, and I've, I've just I'm you know all my all my t-shirts and clothing. Everybody says, "Gosh, don't have anything that doesn't have a Volkswagen bus on it." <laughs> right? No, that's uh, that's rad. So now my question is not my my question naturally goes to what year did you sell the bus, and who did you sell it to? Well, what happened was this whole trip took place in 78, mm-hmm. in September 78, and it took uh, probably six months to, of, I got it to where it was run, where it was drivable, but it would it still, you know, you'll see in the, in the, the book, it was spent a night underwater, <laughs> one, yeah. of the, one of the adventures, and then in a very muddy river, and so it, I took a long time to get the sand and mud out of the crevices and cracks and everything, and it never did get to the point where it would stop, where, where it didn't blow sand out of the defroster when you turned it on, because that, that rigid channel, that, that press-fit channel that goes down the, the center of the pan on the old buses, and so every time you turn the heater on or the, the defroster on, it, it filled the cabin with, with sand, with real, real fine sand, like silt. So I, I kept it, I uh, got it running it again, I rode, ran the heck out out of it went cross country all went you know from california to florida and up to new england you know put lots and lots of miles on it had great times and then um i was actually traveling selling my dad's professional audio equipment and getting help getting his thing going and then um i came back in town and i learned that within the period of 10 days uh two of my friends who we the three of us each had a bus 66 bus they were fairly similar and my two friends each of them had been in a little fender bender accident and at the time they each of them had their left foot riding on the back of the headlight in the bus and lost their left leg from the knee down Oh, wow. And I and and my 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 best friend told me, you know, Paul, you, things happen in threes. But you you got to get rid of the bus. <laughs> and I I got kind of freaked out over the whole thing. And I ended up selling it, swap me to somebody, and uh, you know it went its own way. And I always regretted selling it, you know. But I didn't want to be that third guy with uh, with a uh, artificial leg. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's well, you know, based on what you'd been through with that bus, with the with, with your constant uh monitoring of the current karma you know mm-hmm. who knows and and, and 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 you know if anybody deserved that that outcome was probably me because i drove that thing like a race car everywhere i mean in and out of cars and i was the knucklehead on the freeway and everybody's going slow there's always one guy going fast lane to slow lane and that whole thing well that was me in the bus and so people would see it go by and you know i, I was 
used to get a smile on my face because the place said Wonderbus faster than a speeding bullet. So <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I bought, I drank the Kool-Aid and I bought into it too. So I ran that thing. You know, as a matter of fact, is if I didn't have a passenger, I can, at the end, I could actually pop the front wheels about six inches off the ground for, from a standing start. Wow. Um, and yeah. So that, you know, I'd squeal the back tires and I'd pull up to a, a stop flight with that thing and I had it so dialed in that, you know, people would look over at me and I'd rev the engine a couple of times. They'd look over at me and laugh in their, you know, Mustang or whatever it was. And we, we, we obviously we wouldn't race, but I, they, I still got a kick out of popping the front end off the ground <laughs> a little bit as I pulled away. Yeah. So. That's- that's uh, it, I you know it, it like I said it's it's such a it, it's such an encompassing story to the people with the VW uh, with, with with a VW passion and, and one of the things that I always say people probably get tired of hearing it they might take shots when I say I say so much on the podcast but you know VWs especially you know from the generation of, I, I'm a Gen Xer you're a, a, a generation uh, a, baby, a baby boomer you, yep. you're you're a baby boomer but the reality is in our generations. I believe Volkswagens are as American as apple pie. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, they are. In respect to a car culture, the enthusiasts mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, yeah. But I tell you what, if you uh, if you get on there and uh, you get, start getting some response, I'm sure people will reach out to you and see if you have the original VIN number for that car. Because if they can, mm-hmm. you'd, be, you'd be amazed what people can find nowadays. So I think it would be pretty rad if somebody was ab- able, able to actually track that bus down. That, that'd be cool. I've got, got all my uh, uh, receipts and my you know, uh, Volkswagen dealership uh, repair receipts and all that. They, it's probably on that. And if not, I better I have a picture of it somewhere. Now, uh, you, you know, I tell you, I, to all our listeners out there, go check out the website. Uh, the, he check, like him on Facebook and uh, follow him on Instagram. But uh, he's, you know, it's badkarmabook.com. You can buy the book on the website. You guys are definitely not going to miss out because I was lucky enough that I got a signed copy, and I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure if people <laughs> reach out to you, you give a signed copy as well. But of course, um, I, you know, it's a it's a great story. And and interestingly enough, you brought up uh, the how to repair your Volkswagen for the complete idiot. When mm-hmm. when I read the excerpt from your book, I was doing a, a a coronavirus special, like what to do during this time when no one's working and all this stuff. This is back when it first mm-hmm. kicked off, and that's when I read an excerpt of your book. And then I also shortly in the same episode, I read an excerpt from the How to Keep Your Volkswagen Alive book. So <laughs> just it's funny that you brought those two up together, and I thought oh, it's fitting that they're both in the same episode. And yeah, it, it's. It, it's one of those things, you know, I was on a five state book tour going to Barnes and Nobles all over the Western United States when I was, uh, when the, the, that whole thing was shut down March 15th when the, the Barnes and Noble corporate said, no, we're not going to have any more, you know, book signings. Right. And so that, that was shut down with 44 of them hanging. Um, I'm just, I'm chomping at the bit to get back out there and, and start signing. And cause I just have so much fun showing the pictures and the artifacts from the trip and telling the story. And it's just, you know, it's, it's one I know frontward and backward, and it's just because I lived it. And it, it's everybody, without, without, well, nearly without exception, I, I get a, a really good response on, you know, Amazon's got that one through five star rating thing. And of course, you know, I've got three one star ratings from Knuckleheads in the peanut gallery, but, <laughs> but, 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 but then that, that, that's out of 240 ratings. I yeah. have three that said, you know, what a dumb book. And, um, it was it was funny because the first bad one I got said it looks it's like it's written by a five year old and I thought well that's terrible and then about two weeks later I got one said it looks like it was written by a ten year old and I thought well hey I'm unproven we're going and the then, right direction <laughs> <laughs> and but out of two hundred and approximately forty reviews seventy eight percent of them are five stars. Um, and so, you know, that's really rewarding to see that, that going through and the, the letters from, from parents of adolescent boys saying, you know, this, this really, I, I get the, my son read it because it's a, a fun adventure, but I get the messages in there, but you know, about not doing dumb things to impress the wrong people. Yeah. No, I, listen, I give it five stars, man. I love the story. Um, <laughs> well, thank I, you, you know, very look, much. I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the book. It was just it was just such a great adventure, and I and and I took the book, and I my brother's a big reader, and he's also a VW guy. He has a restoration shop here in town, and I said mm-hmm. you need to read the book, and I called him. They said, hey, have you read the book yet? And he's like, well, ah, you know, he's he's getting a little older, and, you know, he's he's now in his late forties, and he's like, ah, oh, my glasses and this. I said, listen, you got to read the book, or you got to bring it back. One of the two. 
but you can't. You know. <laughs> I said, but you're missing out if you're not going to read it because he's a big he's a big reader, and I know that once he gets started in that book, yep. it's hard to put it down because there's just so much going on. So yeah, you know. Well, I, I, I like to I, I like to think about halfway through the first page, you go, you just go, wow, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's I, I think that's going to be a common uh, census for a lot of people that are that are going to pick this book up. So. By all means, man. It's it's been great to have you on. And uh, when you, hey, thank you so much, Bill. It's been a lot of fun talking with you. No, I, visiting with you when I get out your way. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to see if you if you come to Vegas, look me up, and uh, and and I'll, and I'll come to the book signing, and uh, maybe we'll gather up a bunch of VW people because it'd be really great to get a lot of VW enthusiasts out there to your book signing. So I'll make this commitment to you. When you get your next book signings, let me know and I'll, and I'll put some shout outs on my, uh, my little podcast and my website and just let people know that if people want to go down there, that there's, there's a, a, a brethren of the VW enthusiast that's got <laughs> one hell of a story to tell about a Mexican surf trip from hell, man. So have cool. fun. Hey, uh, I look forward to it very much, Bill. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on, and for sure, keep us posted on the next book signings. I certainly will. If you like that podcast, make sure you like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and to support the podcast, go to letstalkdubs.com, pick up some merch, and support your boy. Until next week, guys. Later. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon.